We're diving into part three of Lord of the Harvest. This is our third and concluding uh, sermon for this little series, Lord of the Harvest. We've been looking at one specific passage. And if you'll go with me now to Matthew chapter 9, you can start finding, your, uh, finding this verse. It's been our theme verse the entire time. Matthew chapter 9, the last four verses there. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. When you're there, say amen. amen. All right. I'm reading from the New King James Version today, but whatever Bible you've got in your laps or in the lap of your friend next to you, uh, on your screen, whatever the case, that's, that's, that's going to be great. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. The Bible says this, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pause for prayer just now. Father, we look to you as the Lord of the harvest. We're directing our hearts towards you, praying to you. Lord, as we dive deeper into this simple passage, we ask that you would open up our hearts to understand and hear, not just for information's sake, but for transformation's sake, God. We ask, Lord, that the things that we, we need would be provided, not just by the words that are spoken, but, but by the impressions and promptings of your Holy Spirit. Please cause this word to be more than just ink on paper. Let it be the living word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray this in Jesus' saving and precious name. Let the family say, amen, amen. Here we are. Jesus has, I mean, he's, he's already given us his perspective. This weary and scattered multitude is a harvest, right? It's, it's not just a, a bunch of nobodies that we turn away from. We've got better things to do. But no, this is a plentiful harvest. He's given us his perspective, a perspective of compassion, a perspective of hope. But he's also coupled that perspective with a very serious problem. The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So he's given us his perspective. He's given us the weightiness of this problem. Now what? Right? What then shall we do? What are the next steps? In light of the mismatch between the plentiful harvest and the church's underwhelming readiness, what does Jesus then turn to? What's his primary prescription and his immediate response? What is it? Pray. To pray to pray. And I know the fix-it types among us are thinking, this is impractical, that's not going to get anywhere, but it should be no surprise to a house of prayer, right, that our first response is to pray the Lord of the harvest. Let's pray. Why? Why should we pray? Well, prayer reminds us who the Lord of the harvest really is. Amen. <laughs> and it's not you and it's not me. It reminds us that when our hearts are pricked with the burden of souls that are in need of salvation, prayer reminds us that we are not their Savior. That only Jesus 
can be Jesus. Do you understand what I mean by that? <laughs> the name Jesus means God saves. Only Jesus can be Jesus. That's why we pray. And so, all the more reason then to understand this prayer. It's a one-liner. It's a punchy prayer. Pray the Lord of the harvest, that he would send out laborers into the harvest. And so today what we're going to do is we're just going to look at the very specifics of what some would call a radical prayer. All right, three specifics. First specific is the specific kind of prayer that Jesus is talking about here. The specific kind of prayer. Just so that you're aware, when Jesus says, therefore pray, that word for prayer is not your common word for prayer. It's not the most typically used, frequently used word for prayer in the entire New Testament. Usually it's prosyuchomai. It's, it's the idea of turning towards, turning your wish, turning your heart towards God. But here, the word is deomai. Can you say that with some authority? Deomai, yeah. Deomai. This is a, a situation that Jesus is describing. You know, plentiful harvest, but laborers are few. It's a situation of lack that requires more than just your routine or everyday sort of prayer. I think we can understand that there is, right, there, there is a difference between routine prayer and earnest prayer. You understand what I mean by that? I mean, we all know that you know, as, as one book says in Steps to Christ, I love it, prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend, right? And, but there's a difference between prayer as communion with God and prayer as interceding for others. And this is what we're talking about. We know that this situation demands an intensified prayer response because if this harvest goes to waste, that means souls are lost. It's a life and death matter. So it's not just that we commune with God, but that we're interceding with God on behalf of what is taking place. So the Greek word here is deomai. It's used 22 times in the New Testament, and it literally means to beg. It means to beg. Jesus' prescription is beg the Lord of the harvest. It's the kind of urgent plea that we make when we feel a pressing need and when we feel a personal need. Jesus instructs us to pray for laborers, not just because we sense, yeah, there's great urgency here, but because we know this is a, a personal matter. This is a personal thing. The difference when we're praying for a person, uh, or sorry, when we're praying for a situation or a person that is close to home versus someone that we have no idea who that is. Right? There, there is a, a, an extreme difference when we know that, yes, hundreds of thousands of people have been affected terribly by COVID, but when you know the name and the face of one, that presses home much more. You understand? Yeah. And, and, and such, such a valuable experience, by the way. I hope you know how special it is that we can share prayer requests uh, during our times of worship. Um, what that does is it, it causes us, it, it opens up the opportunity for us to step into each other's shoes and recognize that, oh, what that person is saying, that's an urgent need. No, you have the opportunity to say, that's a personal need. And I'm going to press that petition into God's presence with my brother and sister. That's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing. And Jesus here, he actually wants us to feel personally tied to the saving of this harvest. But if this harvest is lost, it's not just, oh, well, good luck for the Lord of the harvest. No, it's, it's my loss too. You, you look at other ways that this word 
to beg, to beseech, to pray is used in the New Testament. Actually, Luke is the one who uses it the most often in his gospel and also in the book of Acts. But here are just a few references. Luke chapter 9, verse 38. Uh, it's the story of a man who, you know, Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And, uh, you know, he has a son that is in need. Notice he says, and a man from the crowd shouted, saying, teacher, I beg you to look at my son. Why? Because he is my only son. Man, when you understand the story, then you realize this guy's not just praying. He's praying, right? He's begging God. This is my son, my only son. Jesus, oh man, can you imagine what heartstrings that plucked in Jesus' heart at that time? My only son. Oh, that, that rings a bell. Luke chapter 22, Jesus uses this same word. Luke 22, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan has demanded to sift, to sift you. Oh, boy. Sorry, that's a typo. To sift. Oh, no, no, it's not. I'm sorry. This is New, new American Standard. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you men like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Jesus knows, hey, these are, these are people that I've poured my life into, Simon especially, and Satan has demanded for them, so I'm going to demand even more. I'm going to beg even more. I'm going to pray that your faith will not fail. And I love the rest of that verse. It says, hey, when, when you've been converted, go ahead and strengthen your brethren. Yeah. Go with me to the book of Acts, another reference in which the Bible uses this idea of begging God, praying. This is Acts chapter 4, praying with a sense of pressing need and, and personal need. Acts chapter 4, when you're there, say, I beat you. Okay, <laughs> there it is. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 4. John and Peter have just been released from apprehension. They, they were arrested by the religious leaders because they were preaching in the name of Jesus. Okay, John and Peter, they come back to the rest of the believers. You'd think that they were maybe second guessing what was going on, but no, <laughs> they were all the more bold. Acts chapter 4, let's take a look. Verse 24. Verse 24. The Bible says this. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. Ah, oh, that's beautiful. They raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. This, this prayer is beautiful. This prayer is, is bold. It's asking big because God is big. And then in verse 29, just skipping down a little bit. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now here's verse 31. And when they had deomide, there it is. Right? And when they had parade, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. What I love about this picture is that the church, the early church, you know, by this time in Acts chapter 4, there's several thousand strong, that this church takes it personally. They don't just say, oh, Peter and John, good, I'm glad I'm not one of those guys who are out on the front lines. No, they take it personally that what happened to them as they were sharing the gospel is actually impacting them too. And so they take it personally and they pray unitedly for boldness to share the word. Despite resistance, 
in spite of kickback. This is a time where they need more than a whisper of prayer in the morning. Right? This is a time where they need to raise their voice to heaven. And I love that when, for the sake of the harvest, when we raise our voice to heaven, the earth shakes and the spirit is poured out. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest. Therefore, that's the specific kind of prayer that we're talking about. Go back with me now. Matthew chapter 9. We're, we've looked at the specific kind of prayer, but what about the content of this prayer? What is the specific content of the prayer? We've already seen it. We've read it over a couple of times. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, the Bible says this, Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest, specifically what? To send out laborers into his harvest. To send out laborers into his harvest. So what exactly is it that Jesus wants us to pray for with, with that kind of earnestness, with that kind of personal desperation? Simply that he would send out laborers. That he would send out laborers. So what does that mean? What, what do you visualize when, when, you, when you're asking Jesus, the Lord of the harvest, hey, send out laborers into the harvest. What, what are we really asking God to do? Again, the original language here kind of indicates something a little bit more than your commonplace idea of sending. It reveals the intensity of this prayer because Jesus is literally telling us to pray that God would throw out laborers into the harvest. The word is ekbalo, balo meaning throw, throw out. To cast out, I mean, this is the word that's used for casting out demons. This is the, the word that's used for, for uh, leading people out of the city. To thrust, to eject laborers. <laughs> What's going on? What is Jesus telling us to, to pray for? We are to pray not just for God to send laborers as we would click a button and send our text message. As, uh, as we would casually just send an email to this direction or that direction. No. We're not just putting a stamp on something and giving it to somebody. No, we're asking God to throw out laborers. Get them out. And I love that. Send out laborers into his harvest. Into his harvest. Meaning that labor for the harvest isn't something that takes place from a distance, but it, it requires and involves a level of entrance. Entrance into people's lives. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But you got to ask this question, man, why, why would sending laborers require so much push? You know? Why would it require so much compulsion almost, right? And I would suggest it's probably because it's to overcome, one, the church's inhibitions about going, and two, to overcome the world's resistance to receiving. Now, there really is an enemy that works hard against the efforts to harvest. And so when we pray, when we beg of God, recognizing the gravity of the situation, that without laborers, this harvest goes, goes to put, you know, like, well, what's going to happen? Well, we need to send out laborers. The, I love this. This is, this is not just a call to, okay, let's, let's just make sure that the few laborers are working a lot, lot harder, okay? No, send out laborers. And so this is the specific content of the prayer. We've looked at it already. The kind of prayer, it's begging prayer. It's beseeching prayer. The content of the prayer, send us out, get us out of here. And then the focus of the prayer. 
In other words, who then are we truly praying for? When we ask God to send out laborers, go ahead, God, do it. Throw them out. Who's them? It's us. It's us. Can I get an, an amen here? <laughs> it's us, yeah. You know, we pray with deep-seated urgency. We pray to the Lord of the harvest. Yes, God, do more than just assign laborers to go actually fling laborers out of here. But when we're praying all this, we are really praying for ourselves. That's the focus of this prayer. Right? We're not just praying for more laborers, the numbers. We're not just praying for other laborers around us. We're praying for us to be sent. And should we dare to pray this? We are literally begging Jesus to launch us out of our comfort zones and into the harvest that is so ripe for reaping. So who wants to pray this? <laughs> I dare you to pray this. I mean, it's no wonder that immediately after Jesus instructs his disciples here, you know, here in chapter 9, after Jesus instructs his disciples to pray this way, he sends them right out. You keep reading right along in chapter 10. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over all unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. You know, he's giving these names, all the people that he had just told, hey, look, you guys need to pray for more laborers. And by the way, fellas, that's you. That, that's what he's saying. <laughs> Verse 5, these 12, Jesus sent out. These, the ones he told them to pray that God would send, he sent them. The implication then is this, while prayer may be the first response, you know, prayer is the first response, plentiful harvest, few laborers. Prayer is our first response. However, it's not the only response, right? It's not the only response. God invites us to pray this way and then to be an answer to our own prayer. God, launch out laborers and make me willing to. That's what it is. That's the kind of prayer. That's the content of the, that's the focus of the prayer. But there's one dynamic as I was studying this last, there's one dynamic to this prayer that is not so obvious. And it, it's a question, really, a vital question that we cannot neglect. But if I'm willing to pray for laborers, and if I'm willing to be sent out myself, how then should I go about laboring? Yeah? I mean, you can imagine just being in an, uh, you know, ejected out of your seat into the harvest. But once I'm there, how then, how then do I go about laboring? Does Jesus even address that in this prayer? Is this just kind of, oh, how then do we do this? I mean, you can look at chapter 10. Jesus is the one who supplies power. He's the one who supplies authority and effectiveness. He puts, sends them out two by two, things like that. But within this specific context, I want to ask the question another way. What kind of laborer does Jesus want us to be? What kind of laborer does Jesus want us to be? 
And I would suggest that the answer lies actually in verse 36 of chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Do you remember the observation? The observation that Jesus had that inspired him to say these amazing red letters. Verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, what? Like sheep having no shepherd. Could it be that it's not just laborers that are few, but that there are no shepherds? There are no shepherds. That's what inspires Jesus to say, okay, there's this plentiful harvest. Laborers are few. Could it be that in this context, the shepherds are few? There are few who are shepherding with the kind of sacrificial, relational labor that's needed for weary souls, scattered hearts, distressed and dispirited people. They need a shepherd in their life. Reminds me of an Old Testament prophecy where God is rebuking the shepherds of Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 34, maybe you remember this. Ezekiel chapter 34, God is, is identifying the shepherds of Israel as having forsaken their responsibility. In fact, I think we have it here on the screen. Verse 5 and 6, it says this, So they were scattered. Why? Because there was no shepherd. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth. This is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Oh, sorry about that. That's verse 6. No one was seeking or searching for them. And in verse 11, yeah, let's keep going. Verse 11, this rebuke actually turns into this prophecy. When, when God looks at Israel back in the, the Old Testament, he says, man, they're, they're, like, they're like sheep without a shepherd. There's no one looking for them. The shepherds who are assigned, they're actually, instead of feeding the flock, they're feeding themselves. They're more self-interested than other-centered. And in verse 11, God says, now this, I'm not going to let the story end here. For thus says the Lord God, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Man, the rebuke turned into a promise. <laughs> Actually, it turned into a prophecy is what's going on. The rebuke turned into a prophecy. And here, what we've been looking at in Matthew chapter 9, here Jesus is. He is fulfilling this very prophecy. I myself will go out, by the way. If any of us today are feeling weary and scattered, like no one's looking for me. Friends online, even though we can't see your face, if you are feeling as though you're weary and scattered, no one's looking for, I want you to know, Jesus himself has come to find you out. Jesus himself has come to seek and save that which is lost. And as we've been reading in Matthew 9 over the last several weeks, basically what he wonders now is if others will join him in seeking. Will you join me in seeking? Will we join the good shepherd in seeking and saving that which was lost? What kind of laborers does the Lord of the harvest want to send? Ah, he wants to send shepherds. He wants to send those who will lay self aside to search with personal, dogged effort for those who are weary and distressed right around us. Really, it's beautiful masterful collision of two metaphors, right? 
The, the metaphor of sheep and shepherd put together with the metaphor of harvest and laborers. And I would say, you know, while the, while the harvest metaphor highlights the necessary timing of gospel labor, like, hey, there, there's a, you know, there's a countdown here. We can't just sit on our hands. Harvest metaphor, it, it highlights the necessary timing of gospel labor, but the sheep metaphor, the shepherd metaphor, it highlights the necessary manner of gospel labor. Do you follow me today? And that's why the scripture that was read for us, let's go there, John 21. John 21, let's go there together. John 21, last gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, last chapter, John 21, verse 15. I mean, we've, we've actually hit upon this experience, this story in each of our sermons of this series, but I want to highlight again just a different dynamic. John 21, when you're there, say amen. Starting in verse 15, you know kind of just the, the chronology of this. This is already uh, after the resurrection of Christ, which is after the crucifixion of Christ, which is after the denial of Christ by Peter. Okay. And Peter has already, you know, he's kind of gathered his nets. He's gone out to the sea, disappointed, discouraged. When Jesus actually gathers them to the shore, I don't know if you realize, where is this? Where, where they have a fire. Where is that verse? Verse 9. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there. That, the only other time, I think it's the only other time, that the word fire of coals is used is actually um, in the description of Peter warming himself by the fire just before he denied Jesus three times. So even the smell of this encounter is bringing to mind everything. Oh, man. God is bringing him over familiar territory. And when he approaches Peter directly, verse 15, So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Really, what, what is Jesus trying to do here? He's not trying to rub it in. No, he's giving him a second chance. He's commissioning him again, right? You remember the first time he had fished all night and caught nothing, okay? Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. This is a little different. Similar circumstances, similar setting even. But he says, feed my what? Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. This isn't the same Peter that we've seen throughout the rest of the Gospels, right? He's humbled. He's repentant. And he's converted. And it's to that humble, repentant soul that Jesus can say, feed my sheep. He doesn't say, I will make you a fisher of men. He says, I'm going to make you a shepherd. That's different, yeah? Why, why? Jesus' second call to Peter was to serve, to provide, to feed, to minister as a shepherd. 
This time Peter was humble, the boisterous one. He, he, he had been burdened by his own sin and realized his own insufficiencies. Now he can be sensitive to feed lambs, to tend sheep. So he calls him to be a shepherd and not just a fisher, not just a fisher who catches, but a shepherd who cares. Not just focus on the result of the catch, but the process of the harvest. Yeah, I want to apply this now to our own efforts, our interactions with people one-on-one -on -one or even in a public setting. Maybe you've got a one-on-one -on -one Bible study, someone that you're, you're, you're sharing with, someone that you're discipling and mentoring. Or maybe it's, you know, as we plan different programs and outreach efforts and a prophecy seminar, by the way, mark your calendars for October. We want to share the Word of God with the community. But I tell you what, these public efforts... Let's just be very, very clear. These public efforts will only be as effective as our personal efforts are genuine. Amen. Say I'll say it again. <laughs> These public efforts will only be as effective as our personal efforts are genuine. And so, like Peter, Jesus is commissioning us, you, me. He is inviting us to be launched out into the harvest and to labor as shepherds. Like Peter, humble, repentant, keenly aware of our own weaknesses so that when we are encountering weaknesses of others, we can be tender and loving. Do we, do we follow that today? Yeah. We come close to others with tenderness and care, willing to invest in relationships, not just eager for results. Jesus wants to send us out as shepherds. Shepherds. So how do we want to pray to the Lord of the harvest today? The Lord of the harvest sees a, a plentiful harvest, but few shepherding laborers. You know, September is harvest time in North Dakota, at least. And like his neighbors, uh, let's see if we've got this here. Like his neighbors, there's a, can you help me with that next picture? Can we go to the next slide, please? Like his neighbors, there was a farmer, his name was Lane, Lane Unjum. And he was hard at it in the month of September. It was actually this past September there in North Dakota until the unthinkable happened, actually. He was sitting atop his combine, you know, harvesting his Durham wheat when all of a sudden his combine caught fire. Yowzers, right? Here he is. I mean, this, this rugged farmer, he, he knows what to do now. He gets out. He's starting to put things out. He's, he's keeping himself safe, trying to minimize the damage to the rest of his crop. And in the process, he suffers a cardiac arrest. Fortunately, he was airlifted to a nearby hospital in Minot, uh, North Dakota. He was stabilized, praise the Lord. But it was clear that he wasn't going to be coming back to his combine anytime soon. He wasn't going to be coming back to the harvest. And with 1,000 acres of crops yet to be harvested, this was terrible news. 
Right? This was devastating, not just to him, but to his entire family. But soon, word of Lane's predicament got out, and it was all hands on deck from there. Well, maybe not all hands on deck, but all hands on combines and, and, and grain carts and semi-trucks. And one family friend talked to a couple of farmers, got their equipment, and then other people just started calling other people, even from places outside of the county, and they would send their workers to Lane's Harvest. And in all, sorry, we don't have the picture there for you. We've got a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is his burned combine right here. All right, there's a little bit up close. And people started coming out, and in all, about 60 farmers joined the effort and you, you know they're farmers so they're setting aside their own interests they're setting aside their own harvests they're paying others to labor along with them and all 1,000 acres of his durham wheat and canola crops were harvested in a record time of seven hours hello <laughs> i'm telling you these farmers these friends saw the urgent need, said, oh man, poor guy, that, that's a pressing need. No, it was a personal need. They took it upon themselves, all for the harvest of food. How about us for the harvest of souls, of family, of friends, of future friends for eternity? Friends, simple, simple question. Do we hear the Lord of the harvest today? Do you hear him? Therefore, pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So appeal number one, let's pray with urgency for more laborers. And when we do, let's pray that God would launch us out too. And that when he does that, that we would labor not just for the, the catch, not just for the results, but that we would labor with tenderness shepherding love and care, sacrificial heart-knit compassion for distressed and dispirited souls right around us. I want to make some specific appeals today. So, some specific decisions that I, I just want to give you as we're rounding out this series, to give you an opportunity to signify to God, yes, I am deciding for this. And so I want to speak specifically to those of us here today who are currently engaged in a discipling relationship, currently actively investing in maybe a one-on-one -on -one Bible study or, or a friendship that you know is not just a nice casual acquaintance, but you feel God is saying, hey, befriend this person, love this person with heaven-born love so that they can be your friend or neighbor or coworker in, in eternity. So I'm speaking to those, I've, I've heard stories, you know, people are sharing prayer requests during prayer meeting and stuff of, of people that they are praying for and laboring with and I love the fact that this is coming not just from a few, but from many. I know that you're studying with neighbors. I know that you're studying with friends. I know that you're invested in people's lives, not just, not just to have a good time, but to see them through to eternity, to prepare them for the soon coming of Jesus. And so I want to just appeal to you today. If you, as you labor, well, first of all, praise the Lord for your labor. But I want to appeal to you that as you labor, with those right around you, that you would labor as a shepherd. That you would labor with a shepherd's heart, with tender care. 
And I want to invite you today, if that's your decision, you say, yeah, I am a laborer and I want to be a shepherding laborer. Would you just stand to your feet today? Would you just do that? Yeah. Amen. 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 You're saying, yes, I'm, I'm invested and I want to invest in a way that I'm not just turned off when things don't go the right way <laughs> or things, they say twists and turns in the road. I'm telling you, I've been there, you know, been yelled at maybe by people that, that you've been uh, loving and longing for. Or maybe they just grow cold. They stop answering your phone calls and text messages and stuff. Hey, look, we are shepherds. If we're laboring, we're not just laboring because we get some reciprocal uh, feedback from it. No, it's because we love just because we love. Yeah. And so you're laboring today. You're saying to heaven, yeah, I want to labor as a shepherd today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, I, I want to extend another appeal to those who are saying, well, I, I don't necessarily have a relationship where I'm already laboring, but I want to. I want to be sent. I want to be launched out. Uh, and when I do, I don't want to be an irresponsible shepherd that's just sitting for, to, to, to serve myself. No, I want to invest in someone's life for eternity. And that's you. Go ahead and stand to your feet today. Yeah? Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. I want to praise the Lord today. That there are people here that we are a community that are saying, God, here am I. Send me. Amen. Give me a precious soul to invest my life in. Open up a relational door with my neighbor, a friend, a relative to invest shepherding care and tender love. And I tell you what, the reality is this, that as we're standing today telling God, hey, I want to be a shepherding labor, laborer. To pray with this kind of specificity, it requires courage. Yeah? Let's admit it. It requires courage and it requires conversion to actually love people with sacrificial love, to love others with other-centered love. Whether or not we get anything in return, it requires tenderness and it requires conversion. And so really, as we're standing to our feet, honestly, what we're telling God is, God, we need your heaven-born love in order to love those right around us. Is that your desire today? You want to open your heart to the Lord of the Shepherd and say, yes, yes. Give me a new heart. Live out your love through me. Maybe today you're here saying, you know, I, I am in need of some discipleship. I am in need of some mentorship. Even among those of us who are standing, hey, if we need that today, uh, I, I praise the Lord that we can look around and say, look, there's a community of others who want to labor as shepherds. I can lean on shoulders here. I can tap uh, their shoulders and, and ask them for prayer and investing their life and energy in me. Friends, this is a blessing. The Lord of the harvest is daring us to pray, to pray and be an answer to our prayer. Will we do so? I pray so. Let's bow our heads now. Father in heaven, we're standing to our feet because we recognize that apart from you, we have nothing. And apart from you, the harvest has nothing either. And so, God, secure us to you. Create a new heart in each and every one of us that we might be used for the saving influence in other people's lives. God, we recognize that you are the Lord of the harvest, and we want to say yes to your invitation Say yes to the dare, yet we will pray for laborers and will pray for us to go as well.
So as we do, I want to pray right now just for divine appointments. I pray for divine appointments that even this week, even today, that you would lay a heart, lay a name, lay a face, lay a number upon our minds that we would reach out with tenderness and care. Lord, this week, open up doors for us to share your word in due season to those who are weary. I pray, Father, that you would advance your advent because of the decisions that have been made here today. We pray this in the saving and precious name of Jesus. Let everyone say, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated.